Good evening. This is Patrick Donahue. Appreciate you listening every week at this same time to Bible Crossfire. We hope that you'll join in the discussion in the program. Call in and let's uh, ask your Bible question, or if I teach something you disagree with, uh, let's hear from you and, and show me from the Bible that I'm wrong. If you do that, you'll be my best friend because I don't want to believe anything that's contrary to the Scriptures. Because only the truth will set us free from sin, John 8, 32. But if the Bible shows that what I'm saying is right, then I ask you to have the same kind of attitude that I would want to have. I will make a change in my belief and practice if you can prove from the scriptures that that is the correct course of action. And I want you to do the same thing. Make a change in your belief and practice, religious belief and practice, if the scriptures demand that, don't keep, an, let's, neither one of us keep a closed mind and say, I'm going to believe what I've always believed. Uh, no matter what the scriptures say, I'm going to believe what I want to believe because that's the way I want to live my life. Let's don't be that way. Let's follow what the Bible says on each and everything it touches on. That That's hard to keep an open mind like that, but let's do that. Last week, we were talking about Using the Bible as our rule book, we, we started with this illustration. If you're going to play baseball, you got to use the baseball rule book. And if you're not using the baseball rule book, you're not really playing baseball. It's the same way with Christianity. What's the rule book for Christianity? Well, texts like 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, which we read last week, show that the Bible is the rule book for Christianity. But if you're not really following the rule book, for Christianity, if you're not really following the Bible, then you're not really practicing Christianity. We talked briefly last week about homosexuality. We showed two or three churches that have compromised on homosexuality. And of course, they didn't say this 100 years ago or even 25 years ago, but now they're saying it's okay to be gay. You can be a Christian and be gay, or you can have gay marriage, or even have these churches perform gay wedding ceremonies. And we looked at that and compared that to 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and 10 that says that homosexuals shall not inherit the kingdom of God. And we said these churches, therefore, are not following the rule book for Christianity because the rule book for Christianity, the Bible says that gay marriage is wrong. That's not very hard to understand, is it? It's not really rocket science. And we talked briefly about the same idea with women preachers. 1 Corinthians 14, 34 and 35, which we read last week, says, Let your women keep silence in the churches, for it is not permitted unto them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the law. And if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is a shame for women to speak in the church. Now, nobody's saying it's wrong for a woman to teach a lady's Bible class, but when the churches come together into Sunday school classes, and then when they have that for about an hour, and they all come together at the end of those classes, Bible classes, usually group based upon age, they all come together into one place for what we call the church service. Can a woman deliver the sermon in, the, in that scenario? And 1 Corinthians 14, 34 and 35 is crystal clear on that. Yet, I'm told, statistics say, 75% of churches across America and Canada allow women to speak from the pulpit. Now, are they following the rule book for Christianity on that particular point? If they're allowing women to preach from the pulpit, they're not following what the Bible says. If the Bible says, let your women keep silence in the churches. They're not following the Bible when the Bible says it's a shame for women to speak in church. That's pretty simple. 
That's not complicated at all to understand that. That means that 75% of the churches out there are not really practicing Christianity based upon this point we're talking about presently because they're not following the rule book for Christianity. I mean, everybody can understand if you're not following the rule book for baseball, you're not playing baseball. So if you're not following the rule book for Christianity, you're not really following or you're not really practicing Christianity. If you have a Bible question or comment, the number to call is 877-655-6755. The number to call if you have a Bible question or comment is 877-655-6755. Let's move on to another subject here. Let's talk about what the Bible says about divorce and remarriage. I get a lot of calls on that, and I'm glad to talk about that because Jesus made this quite an important subject in his teaching while he was here on this earth. He, we got three or four or five different places. He says pretty much the same thing, but in different words. Here's Matthew 19, 9, Jesus speaking. Whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery. And whoso marrieth her, which is put away, doth commit adultery. Now, I'm going to suggest to you that's not that hard to understand. Now, a lot of people today, today find it hard to practice what that clearly says, but it's not under hard to understand what it says. We might say it's easier said than done. A long time ago, the, the Methodist church, as an example, used to stand for the truth on divorce and remarriage, but they changed. Let me prove that to you. In 1896, the Methodist creed book said this, no divorce except for adultery shall be regarded by the church as lawful, and no minister shall solemnize marriage in any case where there is a divorced wife or husband living, but this rule shall not be applied to the innocent party to a divorce for the cause of adultery. You know what? That sounds exactly like what Jesus said in Matthew 19, 9. No divorce except for adultery shall be regarded by the church as lawful. That's what Jesus said in Matthew 19, 9. You can only get a divorce for fornication. But then go forward to 1984, here's the same Methodist creed book, where marriage partners, even after thoughtful consideration and counsel, are estranged beyond recon reconciliation. We recognize divorce as regrettable, but recognize the right of divorced persons to remarry. You see how they've compromised in about those 80 or 90 years? They completely changed what they taught. They were following the rule book the Bible, on divorce and remarriage in 1896, but not anymore. They're not following the rule book on Christianity, on divorce and remarriage. And if you're not following the rule book on baseball, you're not really playing baseball. Bob from Missouri, go ahead with your question or comment. Well, here's my question. Um, I've been told in Revelation it says that when Jesus comes back again, that all the people that are, all, how the people ascend to heaven, first the people that are on earth descend, ascend first, and then the, the dead descend, ascend after that. Is that not true? Well, right now, I think you're thinking of 1 Thessalonians 4.17. Okay. It's talking about the second coming of the Lord. Verse 16 right. says, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of archangels, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first, then... We which are alive and remain shall be caught up together within the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. So there's okay. where we're talking about the dead in Christ. Christians that are dead will rise first. Then those who are still alive will be caught up to meet the Lord okay. in the air. Is that what you're uh, okay. referring to, Bob? 
I am, but that's not my question. Here's my question. Yeah. The dead in Christ will rise first. So does that tell me, or am I reading something into it? You need to tell me. Does that tell me that my dad that died in 1976 is still waiting to be with the Lord? That means if your dad was a Christian, that means he has not res- been resurrected. His body has not been resurrected. You, you, you understand? I'm sure you know about the resurrection, right? And I, I, I'm looking at John chapter five, verse twenty-eight. Jesus speaking here says, "Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in which all that are in the grave shall hear His voice and shall come forth. They that have done good unto the resurrection of life, they that have done evil unto the resurrection of condemnation." So the resurrection of the body has not occurred yet. If you will, I don't necessarily have time to read this whole passage at this point, Bob, on this program. But if you go back and read, write this down, Luke 16, verses 18 through 31, there's a story there that Jesus gives about, we call it the rich man and Lazarus. And they're in Hades, but there's two compartments separated by a gulf. One compartment is torments. That's where people are who lived in this life and they were not faithful to God. And then in comfort, Abraham's bosom is where the uh, Lazarus was. And that's the part of Hades where those who are faithful to God live. They're there. Their spirits are there waiting in Hades, waiting until the judgment day. And on the judgment day, we might say, then comes the sentencing. Now, you mentioned the book of Revelation. If you go to Revelation 20, and look at verses 11 through the end of the chapter. There's a there's a scene there we normally call the great white throne scene, beginning in Revelation 20, verse 11. And there we have the judgment. People are going to be judged based upon their works. Those that are written in the book of life, if their names are in the book of life, they're going to uh, go to heaven. And it says in verse 14, death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. So Hades still exists until the judgment day. So people are in Hades right now. They're either in torment or comfort. Their fate is already sealed. All that's left is their sentencing. And then at the judgment day, when Jesus comes back, the second coming of Christ, that's going to be the end of the world. That's when the resurrection of the dead, the bodies are going to happen. That's what 1 Thessalonians 4 is talking about, when the dead in Christ shall rise first. That's saying that the Christians who are dead will come first before the Christians who are alive. Okay? Right, right. And, And then... And then, then all the people in the comfort part of Hades will go to heaven, and all the people in the torment part of Hades will continue their torment in H E L L, the bad place, everlasting punishment. Right. Matthew twenty five forty six. All right, Bob, go ahead. Okay, I, I appreciate the clarification. I really do. Okay, so what I need you to do is, after you get off the call, when at your leisure, go back and read Luke sixteen. Verse 19 through 31, and you'll see this story about the rich man and Lazarus and Hades, okay? I'll do it. Thank you. You have a great show. Thank you very much. Thank you for your call, Bob. Appreciate it. Okay. Bye-bye. Again, if you have a Bible question or comment, give us a call at 877-655-6755. That's 877-655-6755. The lines are wide open. So when you look at these this Methodist creed book in 1896, they said in their own words, but they said exactly what Jesus said in Matthew 19, nine, they stood for the truth on that. Their ministers were not going to marry folks 
a couple that came to him if one of them had been divorced before. They're not going to put people in second or third marriages because Jesus calls those marriages adulterous. But in 1984, they said, oh, no, divorce is regrettable, but anybody can remarry. See, they totally compromised the Methodist church on divorce and remarriage. And that's why. And guess what? About really about 95% of the churches across America have compromised in the same way. It's not just the Methodist church. I just had them that documented with their creed book. That's why in these 95% of churches, the statistics say 20% of their membership is in a second or third marriage that Jesus calls adulterous in Matthew 19.9. And the churches just go along with it. Allow these people to be in their second and third marriages. They say it's regrettable, but whatever they say, whatever marriage you're in, just stay in it. They're not following the rule book for Christianity, are they? Matthew 19, 9 tells us that those marriages are adulterous. And of course, if they're adulterous, you're going to have to terminate the marriage to be right with God. You can't be forgiven for adultery while you're not even, while you're planning on continuing to commit it. The Bible says adulterers, fornicators will have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, Revelation 21, verse 8. So you're going to have to repent of that. You have to get out of those adulterous marriages to be forgiven of, those, of that sin. But the churches aren't saying that because evidently they're afraid of losing a few members or some contribution. Compare that to what John the Baptist told Herod and Herodias in Mark 6, 17 and 18. They were in an unlawful marriage according to their law, the Old Testament law. And John the Baptist says to Herod, it's not lawful for you to have her. Obviously saying, you've got to terminate that marriage. You've got to get out of that marriage. And guess what happened to John the Baptist? He lost his head in Mark chapter 6 because of that. What a man of courage. Stood for the truth in, on divorce and remarriage in his day, and he cost him his life, and ch preachers and churches today won't even come close to standing for the truth on divorce and remarriage. They won't even come close to saying what to people in these adulterous marriages, what Jesus said to them. Again, if you don't follow the rule book for baseball, you're not really playing baseball. And if you're not following the rule book for Christianity, you're not really practicing Christianity. You may claim you are. You may be playing a, the Christianity game, but you're not really practicing Christianity. Appreciate you listening so much this evening. Again, the lines are wide open. Give us a call at 877-655-6755. Elizabeth from Canada. Go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Yeah, I heard you telling a caller that right now in Haiti is being tormented. Yes, those who did not in this life live faithful to God, they're in Hades being tormented. Notice that's in Luke 16, verse 23. It says an H-E-L-L, talking about the rich man, he lift up his eyes being in torment. So really in the Greek, that's the word Hades. The King James translates it that way, but it's Hades in the Greek. Okay, what about the verse where it says, when you died, but dead know nothing until Christ comes again. Okay. So now no that's way in the, people no, are what, tormented but, Okay, but what you did is you didn't really quote a verse from the Bible. You just kind of quoted something you heard from somebody. No, I've okay. read that verse. Sorry, I don't know exactly what what could Okay. Be there is a verse in Ecclesiastes that says something close to that, but not exactly what you said. Okay? And it's talking about it's if you, in uh, the if New you, Testament. Okay, it it's in Ecclesiastes, okay? And what it's talking about, if you examine the context, when it says the dead know not nothing at all, it's talking about, it says they don't know anything under the sun. 
That's the context. It uses the phrase under the sun. It's not talking about they don't have consciousness, that they're not conscious, that they don't know what's happening to them. It says they don't know anything under the sun. They don't know what's going on under the sun, on the earth. They don't know what's going on on the earth, but they know that they're being tormented. But you'd have to look at the context to see that. Oh, it says they're asleep. Okay. Elizabeth, what I want you to do, Elizabeth, is I want you to go back, Elizabeth, I want you to go back and look at the passage, find it in the book of Ecclesiastes, and you'll see that what I'm saying is right. What you're doing is quoting what somebody told you instead of what the Bible says. In Ecclesiastes, it says they know nothing under the sun. They don't know what's going on on the earth, but they certainly know what's going on with them. When you read Luke 16, 19 through 31, the rich man certainly knew what was going on with him, himself. He knew he was being tormented. He wanted Lazarus to give him some water. And 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 uh, Abraham said, no, there's a great gulf fix between you. We can't do that. So he knew what was going on with him. That's clear. If you'll just read Luke 16, 19 through, 30, 19 through 31, and there's nothing in the book of Ecclesiastes that's going to contradict that. Monica from New Mexico, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Uh, yes, sir. Hello there. Um, I'm just wondering where in the Bible or if in the Bible it points to somewhere that confirms the idea, the physiological fact that all human beings, um, their circulatory system when it's formed at conception is formed or so to speak originates with the biological father and not the mother meaning that no human being has their biological mother's blood in their circulatory system. I mean, that's an undisputed physio- physiological fact, but where in the Bible is it kind of in between here and there, or is there somewhere or many places where it actually states that? What do you mean by the baby has the father's blood, but not the mother's blood? The baby has his own blood, uh, and it's just like any other thing. He, he can inherit... What? He can inherit characteristics from the father or the mother because the father and the mother. But not but not the blood. Uh, the yeah, placenta the, well, okay. will allow chromosomes and genes to come through the placenta. But the blood itself is um, the bl- circulatory system is generated by the biological male. Okay. So I mean, just go to not, the cross. No, I, okay. So, Monica, that's not true scientifically, and it's certainly not taught by the Bible. I happen to know enough about the body and human anatomy. I had a number of years of biology. That's definitely not true according to science. And the Bible says absolutely nothing like that. David from Iowa, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Uh, yes, I was just uh, wondering what the word what means after after it talks about, you know, women cannot speak in the church. And it says, what gave the word of God unto you only? And uh, I think a lot of the people that are letting the women speak in the churches are saying, well, no, the word didn't just come to the men only. It also came to the women. So the women can also speak in the church. And I was wondering what you think about that. Well, when I say what, it's like an exclamation. He says, verse 36, what? Came the word of God out from you or came it unto you only? So he's saying you're not the only ones that, you know, for example, in 1 Corinthians 4, 17, he, let me read that. Maybe that'll help you understand what he's talking about here. 1 Corinthians 4, 17, he says, for this cause have I sent unto you 
Timotheus, who is my beloved son and faithful in the Lord, who shall bring you into remembrance of my ways, which be in Christ as I teach everywhere in every church. So Paul's saying the word of God didn't just come to you or from you. You, He says in verse 37, the next verse there, David, he says, if any man think himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things that I write into you are the commandments of the Lord. So when Paul says what, he's saying, look, you're you're not the end all be all. You're not the ones that, that the word of God didn't come from you. And you're not the only ones the word of God goes to. You should recognize that what I've written to you is the commandments of the Lord. And of course, that doesn't just include verse 34 and 35, but it does for sure include that. In other words, when Paul said that women are not to speak in the church, what he's saying in verse 36 and 37 is this is not just something peculiar to you. This is a commandment of the Lord. The Lord is commanding that women should not speak in the church, to keep silence in the churches. Is that what you're getting at, David? Anyway, so what we're talking about then is is that when churches allow women to preach from the pulpit and the Bible clearly says women should not speak in the church and it says in 1 Timothy 2 and 11 and 12 that a woman is not to teach nor usurp authority over the man, 1 Timothy 2, 11 and 12, when churches allow women to preach from the pulpit and that's probably 75% of the churches out there, they're obviously not following the Bible. They're not following the rule book for Christianity. So they're not actually practicing Christianity. If you have a Bible question or comment, call us at 877-655-6755. Uh, let me give you this quote. This is a quote by Catherine Shorey, who was head of the Episcopal Church, when she says this. She was asked, is belief in Jesus the only way to get to heaven? Her response was to assume that God could not act in other ways, is I think, to put God in an awfully small box. So she's saying, and she's the head of the Episcopal Church at this point, that you don't really have to believe in Jesus to go to heaven, that there are other ways. But, of course, Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And, you know, even Billy Graham compromised on this. If you've watched his sermons, you, he'll, he'll say you got ex Christ to be saved. But Mr. Graham said this in an interview with Robert Schuler. In 1997, he said, whether they come from the Muslim world or the Buddhist world or the Christian world or the non-believing world, they are members of the body of Christ because they've been called by God. They, might not, they may not even know the name of Jesus, but they know in their hearts they need something that they don't have and they turn to the only light they have. And I think they're saved and they're going to be with us in heaven. This is Billy Graham. And Billy Graham is saying when they ask him point blank, you say people have to believe in Jesus to be saved. Do you really mean that? Because that would mean Jews and Muslims who believe in the God of Abraham but don't believe in Jesus, they're not going to be saved. And he says they're going to be saved even though they don't believe in Jesus. That's Billy Graham. But, of course, Jesus said in John 8, 24, I said, ye shall die in your sins. For if you believe not that I am he, you shall die in your sins. And so we see that even Billy Graham contradicted Jesus Christ. Billy Graham, the famous Baptist preacher, did not follow the rule book for Christianity. The rule book for Christianity, the Bible, Jesus Christ, at the foremost, I just quoted you two verses where Jesus said, you have to believe in me to be saved. And Billy Graham says, oh, no, you don't really have to believe in Jesus to be saved. 
you can, if you're a Muslim or if you're a Jew, as long as you follow the light that you have, you're going to be saved, even if you don't believe in Jesus. So Billy Graham and those that he represents weren't really following the rule book for Christianity. Here's what Billy Graham said in McCall's magazine in 1978. I used to believe that pagans in far off countries were lost, were going to H-E-L-L, if they did not have the gospel of Jesus Christ preached to them. I no longer believe that. I believe there are other ways of recognizing the existence of God through nature, for instance, and plenty of other opportunities, therefore, of saying yes to God. So Billy Graham saying you can be saved without believing in Christ. You can say yes to God in other ways if you don't believe in Jesus Christ. But, of course, John 8, 24, Jesus said, you shall die in your sins if you believe not that I am he. You shall die in your sins. Is Billy Graham following the rule book for Christianity? No. Therefore, Billy Graham was not really practicing Christianity. If you'd like to have a free one-hour phone Bible study with me by phone, I want you to call or text me at 256-682-9753. That's 256-682-9753. Appreciate you listening tonight.